Gardening Radio. I'm Ray Burton and welcome to another Let's Talk Gardening podcast. Our mission is to provide listeners with interesting, informative topics and up-to-date information. My co-host is Faya Caro, an award-winning gardener, horticulturalist and media presenter. Faye's passion is educating people. Oh, and she loves bugs a lot too. My passion is simply beautiful, healthy gardens. And together each week, we cover many great gardening subjects. Saturday mornings come around again, and it's time for Let's Talk Gardening. Greetings, gardening friends. Lovely to have you with us on a pretty winter's day such as today. And today's gardening program is sponsored by Safety Bay Settlements, settling and transferring properties across WA since 1977. Now, I have two guests in the studio with me this morning, Mark Tuchek and Daryl Hardy. Thank you both, boys, for coming in. I'm feeling a little bit spoiled. Uh, in the chair, both of you, for Faya Caro, uh, who's out kicking up a heel somewhere as, as we speak, and I hope that she is. Uh, Bev Daring is here. John Glidden, we're already chomping at the bit. The lines are open, 94841927. You can email your questions. Please go to gardening at curtainfm.com.au. And big shout out to the very clever, witty Alan Simons uh, for fabulous breakfast program always and Alan was supported today by uh, Robert Miller thanks boys and of course Jim Crinan with the cycling segment and Jim will be back next Saturday to entertain he does a cycling segment now boys and he also has become a DJ as well between 10 and 12 and he's doing doing good stuff so so Ray you're the uh, you're the rose between the thorns today so well I like to think that yes (laughs) (laughs) how have you both been it's been a while very well yes I've well, I've just got back from a little holiday myself after the garden show. I kind of had Where to, did you get to go? I did a little road trip to Kalgoorlie and Esperance. And uh, I'd never been to Esperance before. Fantastic <gasps> yeah. part of the world. Yeah. And um, even the little wildflowers are actually getting going. I, I saw some nice Leshenortias on oh, the side of the road. Faves. down. Yeah, yeah, yeah uh, Fitzgerald National Park down there. And... Uh, and everyone told me I've got to go back for the wildflower show, uh, the Ravensthorpe uh, wildflower show. So that's on the bucket list. And, uh, yeah, just enjoyed it. Uh, saw some bush tomatoes out in Kalgoorlie, uh, just on the side of the road too. So that was a, a good little find because, uh, you know, anything edible I'm into. Yes, yes. And even spotted the, the yolk out in the bush down in uh, really? Ravensthorpe too. So. Uh, I was quite happy with myself uh, actually finding it. And so what's the timing of the Ravenswood wildflower? Uh, Ravensthorpe. Uh, Thorpe, uh, Thorpe, sorry, is it? Yeah, that's okay. I think it's um, the 18th to the 25th of September. I'll have to check my right. dates on that. But uh, fantastic event and just the uh, the diversity down there is unbelievable, you know. So it should be on everyone's flower bucket list if to, they want to go to make it to Ravensthorpe yep. and, ha- and have a look and see yes absolutely well there's no no better opportunity than I suppose now with the way that we are in the world we're traveling within our own states there's no better opportunity to to uh, put a put a put the bucket list aside and get out there and uh, actually start doing it with the wildflowers we, we tend to not appreciate what's in our own backyard yeah you know, we, we think always a holiday think... is we have to get on a plane and go somewhere we do and mm. uh, so it's Everything. It's all there in our own backyard. Uh, even the, the plants, uh, yeah. the plants in our own growing in Australia are just unbelievable. Yeah, so, um, yeah. Uh, I've been to Singapore. 
But have I, you? I, I still find that uh, you know the, the plants out in the bush uh, excite me just as much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. quite right. Quite right. And Daryl, how have you been? You yeah, know? I've been good. I've been. Yeah. I'm, just, I'm just listening to Mark and looking at all these lovely plants you've brought in today. So I know yeah. he always brings in some uh, fabulous stuff. Well, we'll I thought I'd bring some plants then. in just in case you know everyone knew that you were going to be on the show, Daryl, and we got crickets. So, <laughs> yeah. so I thought I'd bring some plants in to talk about just in case oh, it got quiet. Yes. Well, I've, I've, they're all pretty clean. I can't see any bugs on them. So oh, man. I'm a bit disappointed. <laughs> I could talk about the bugs. And the oh, I know. Well, the bugs yeah. are certainly out there doing their thing. Yeah, they're trying, this. aren't they? Oh, yeah, it's a bit yeah. cool for some of them, but they're still out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so. The What is he? The Valanga Irregularis? Yeah, yeah. Well, she's getting good, isn't Ooh, she? Yeah, right no, right. He's, he, he did some serious work during the week. Yeah. The rotten sod. Um, yeah. He is no more. I didn't yeah. do it, but I sent someone else in oh, right. to do You're my dirty the, work. Sending the hitman sounds like it. Yeah. I do. I just. Ha- I do have a, a grasshopper hitman. Yeah, <laughs> oh, that's right. So phalangula irregularis. Irregularis. What is that? Big the giant grasshopper. Oh, okay. Uh, the big ones. This, yeah. So that's um, one could say that's a little bit of a canary in the coal mine because it's um, a tropical or subtropical species from up north. It's actually Australia's largest grasshopper. Okay. And until about 10, 12 years ago, it wasn't known. Um, south of Geraldton, and right. now it's uh, moved into everybody's citrus patch, hasn't it? And uh, and also eats other things, but um, oh, like it palms. eats anything. Yeah, frangipanis. It really goes, and they're sort of low density predator. You only need one to do a bit of a mess. Oh, they chew some big holes, don't they? Yeah, so, big yeah, holes. Yeah. I've got felt plants straight through those, but even unusual plants that generally nothing worries, like an aspidistra or something like that. Oh, wow. that Generally, nothing bothers with. They eat those. They right. eat, yeah, yeah. Mm. Not fussy. No, not, not fussy. No, no. Okay, so we've got a couple of free lines, 94841927. We're heading to Girouin talking to Philomena. Philomena. Yes, how are you? Good, thank you. How are you? We're all well, thank you. Go ahead. Uh, I, I didn't get the names of the uh, guys. We've got Mark oh. and, and, and Daryl. Good morning, right. Philomena. Can morning, I Philomena. Can I talk to Daryl? Go ahead. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, Daryl, uh, the question I have uh, sincerely is about a native lime tree. Can I call it native Australian lime tree? Because it is, uh, you know, so I bought it quite a while ago. I put it from a little pot from the nursery and then I put it to a big pot and it's taken off. But I just need to know how do I recognize it? When is, uh, you know, the flower? What what does, you know, when does this flower and what does the flower look like for me? Okay, to- well, you've got Mark here who's actually a bush tucker guru so he yeah. knows a lot about um, as part of his business so I might just hand this one over to Mark and okay. dob him in how's that yep thanks very much hello Mark so uh, a native lime so you've got a finger lime yes it's, it's a, a pinky but the label says it's obviously quite it's going to be you know quite a big uh, like you say a finger lime yeah finger lime okay so there are quite a few Australian native limes and a finger lime is one of them uh, so they're kind of prickly shrubs or a small tree. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, did you buy it? Was yours grafted no, no, or was it just cutting no, grown? No. I bought it uh, from a very good nursery out in Midland. It's doing beautifully. It's just taken off. I just need to know when is, uh, how do I know, you know, where, when it's going to flower and what the fertilizer, sh- what kind of fertilizer should I put on it and things like that. Okay, so this time of the year, the, the actually the fruit is just finishing, so the flowers come uh, quite earlier in um, late summer, autumn, and the the fruit develops over the autumn period. Uh, yeah. So it's far too early for flowers at the moment. Um, yeah, does, does, the flowers, does the flowers look similar to a normal, um, you know, lemon tree? 
Yeah. Uh, they do, but just a smaller version. So they're quite small and they're white and uh, you will notice them. But uh, if it's cutting grown or grafted, they, they're both fruit in their first year. So, um, and then to fertilize them, just use a, a an all-purpose uh, slow-release fertilizer. Um, there's some good ones around like Osmocote. Um, uh, mm -hmm. Dynamic Good. Lifter is also a good uh -huh. one to use. Uh, we use uh -huh. that. But don't overdo it. Don't overdo it with fertilizer. Don't overdo it, especially in a pot. Um, I mean, you can even yeah. use citrus fertilizer, but I'd only use okay. a very small amount, like a teaspoonful, and that's probably yeah. better in, in the spring. And now in winter, there's no need to water it, really, because you've got all the beautiful rain coming down, so just leave it and leave it in, sun, in the sun, isn't it? That's Obviously, true, yes. Yep, do that, and uh, it'll okay. grow quite well for you. Okay, thanks a lot. Have a lovely day. Thank thanks, you. Philomena. Thank you. Cheers for that. And we're heading across to Kingsley saying good morning to Greta. How's it going? Hello, good morning. Good morning. Good morning, Greta. Well, we have a, a um, oh dear, another ponytail. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's very, very big. Mm. We've had it for quite about 10 years or so. And uh, it's in the wrong place because we just can't keep it in the garden. We've got to get rid of it. So we've got a park home and there's not much much garden around. And it's got bigger and bigger and the base is so big. And uh, it's about nine, 18 and 19 feet tall. Mm -hmm. That is a big one. And so I, I gather you want to know if you can dig it up. Uh, you might actually find that um, somebody might want to come and dig that up for you and take it away. I was thinking there's some place that um, comes and does that, you know. Yeah, because that, that's a, that look, if it's 19 feet tall, it's a bit of a specimen. Um, I mean, you can chop the top off it and it'll reshoot. Um, it's, not actually a, no. it's, a, it's not actually a palm. Um, it's actually, well, what is actually? The, they're, oh, they're, yeah, they, they confuse it with a, because yes. it looks palm-like, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, so but it's not. Yeah. It's not a palm, yeah, yeah. no. Anyway, they, yeah, the root ball will keep getting, I've seen, if you go to some botanic gardens like Adelaide and Sydney, there's some massive ones there and they, and they go, we're talking about metres across. So if you're in a park home, you better dig that up because uh, you'll have a tree house otherwise shortly. <laughs> Yeah, well, it'd be into the side of the house, you see, so it's in a very bad spot. Yes, so so, and, and you can chop most of the roots off and put new roots out. So you might just want to advertise it in your local newspaper or Gumtree or something like that. And somebody that um, wants you have a feature plant might come dig it up for you. Well, I'm not, I'm not on Gumtree because I'm not on the computer. Oh, so, okay. Greta, also some of your major nurseries, I've I've had things taken by nurseries. They actually come and remove it for you and take it away. You know, tree nurseries and things like that. So it's worth the phone call to ring around and see if anyone's interested in coming and taking it. Mm, I hope so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but they're a beautiful yeah. specimen in they the are. right place. Yes, mm. it's huge. Yes, um, yeah. in your in your case, it should be kept in a pot. <laughs> a very large pot. A very large. Pot. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, yes, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. A hydrangea. There's only one more question. I've got a hydrangea. It's been there for quite a few years now. And it just oh, it just isn't growing at all very well at the moment. So I've cut it right back to the ground, and we do feed it on the um, on the special uh, um, stuff that you put in the in the packet, and uh, but um, fertilizer. Sorry, <laughs> but uh, it's just not picking up at all. So should we pull it out and put a fresh one in? Well, you can actually um, this time of the year because they go dormant. Uh, if you want to dig the whole plant up. Um, put some organic matter and some fresh compost or soil back in the, the same hole and plant it back in the same hole, you can do that. 
Sounds good. When you prune them, though, you don't really want to cut them right down to the ground. Uh, with hydrangeas, you need to prune to... They've got like two little fat buds, usually on the stems. And uh, so you do need to leave some stem on them uh, and you prune to those fat flowering buds. But uh, oh, I've got, oh, Yeah, that's great. Well, I've got the buds there on the sides of the little uh, stalks. So it uh, should be all right if I dig it up and then put it back in again. Yeah, dig the whole thing up, put a whole bag of soil conditioner. Make sure you mix it, though. Don't put the soil conditioner straight in the hole, but make, make sure you mix it uh, well in the, in the planting hole and then you can put it back in the same place. Oh, great. Well, thanks for your advice. Where would I find a tree... Um, a, a, a tree nursery. Well, it doesn't have necessarily be a tree nursery. It could, um, mm. it could be just any. Just try your local nursery to start with. Oh, good, good. Yeah. Thank you and, and they might know somebody that's a landscape gardener that yes, they deal exactly. with or something like that, and they might mm. want a uh, right. specimen that they because um, a lot of those um, dragons' blood. Uh, you see them. Yes. People just have one plant in their garden, and yes. I've even seen. Uh, big frangipanis now being transplanted just as a specimen. Right. And certainly a, a ponytail palm will look good in a, as, as a specimen too. For sure, yep. Thank you. You're Thanks, welcome. Greta. Cheers for that. Okay, 94841927. Yeah, I remember I had a, a weeping fig removed. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I purchased a house and it was sort of planted in a fairly precarious position. And it was great just to get one of the nurseries to come out and they literally lifted it out of the ground for me, a massive root system, mm-hmm. and, uh, yeah, it was a good thing. And they just take it. They probably on-sell it, whatever they do. Yep. I don't yeah. mind. It's a headache gone. Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. I had a uh, the, the blood dragon's blood tree, which is just seen oh, Draco. Yeah. And uh, so mine was about three metres tall, mm. and I found out that uh, they need to get to about at least 16 years old before they flower. Mm. And that's when they start to branch out. So that's when you know they're quite old. Mature, yeah. And But they're so heavy, like mm. the trunks in those, just like a f- full of water because they, they survive quite well in arid conditions. And But you've got to be so careful when you do it because they don't want to be puncturing the, the trunk because no. they bleed. You know, yeah, they, they bleed do. That, that dragon's, dragon's yeah. blood. Yeah. Same thing with the ponytail. I've got a massive ponytail at home myself. Um but you've got to be super careful when transplanting those because the bowl, uh, you know, the bulbous bit on the bottom, uh, is it can be injured very easily. Mm. Yeah. And uh, once you put a, a spade into that, uh, it doesn't recover. Um, so you'll end up with a bit of a hole in your ponytail bowl. Yeah. Bulb, no. yeah, whatever you, you call it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but they are easily transported, but uh, you just got to... Make yeah. sure you, people know, how very, to do it know what they're doing. Yeah, yeah exactly. and people don't realise the weight of these things. That's oh the yes. Thing. Yeah. Mm. So there's if for anybody that wants to see tree removal, go to YouTube and you should see some of the machinery overseas that in America. They use. They, they, they use to remove these things. And oh so yeah. They just come in and there's this thing like on the back of a, a tractor. There's actually a purpose-built machine and it just sort of chisels into the ground around it and mm. just then scoops underneath it and lifts the whole thing up and then there's magic that, uh, yeah they, they just I've seen that yeah they're, they're massive so though. impressive yeah, yeah. so uh, if you're into engineering and, and big <laughs> and big big toys kids uh, watch uh, those YouTube channels yeah absolutely nine four eight four one nine two seven back in a moment Curtain Radio. You are listening to Let's Talk Gardening. Special guest in the studio with me this morning, Mark Tuchek, who I like to say is from everywhere, but he's from Hortbids, Tuckerbush, Domus and Water Plants Nursery. And, of course, Dr. Daryl Hardy, Senior Entomologist from of Deep Herd. 
which is the Department of Primary Industries and Regional Development. We yeah. say DPIRT, it's a whole lot easier. Yeah, I know. But with, I've had one person told me the other day, you're from the Department of PIRD. PIRD. Because oh. they, they said the department and then just went PIRD. PIRD on the end of it, yeah. Yes, so thank you both boys for, for joining us. We were just talking a little bit off air about water plants. Yes, yep. So I was uh, telling Daryl before that, uh, I mean, this time of the year, people don't really think about water plants but uh, because it's they've got their own water features coming out of the sky. Yeah. Um, but um, I was counted up the varieties that we've got growing in the nursery. We've got close to 100 different varieties of water plants now and admittedly half of them go dormant or go yeah. a bit daggy during mm. winter but yeah. still you know 50 or so is a, still a great selection this time of the year uh, to find in the in the garden centre and Daryl had an issue with um, selecting a water plant for a shady spot which is a bit mm. problematic because mm. it, it tends to narrow down quite a, a few of the varieties but I bought a few in here and I'll just grab them quickly Mm. And so this little one here is, uh, it's called a golden marsh flower and it's an Australian native and it's got these kind of green glossy kidney shaped leaves and that will take a little bit of shade. I don't know how shady you've got, Daryl, so um, uh, it does take uh, partial shade. Uh, this time of the year though they they do slow down, so if it's too shady, then they'll probably, the growth will be affected on them. And it's really kind of like a a marginal plant. So were you thinking of uh, totally submerged in the water or just on the edge of the pond? I was going or? to actually float it on one of those rings. Oh, yes. oh float it in the ring. Okay. Yeah. Yep, so that's an easy one to do. Uh, the other one you could try is this one. Um, so this one is called a, um, a green milfoil. And as you can see, it's got like this ferny uh, type leaves, a very delicate looking ferny type leaves. Uh, it can grow actually in the water uh, submerged as a mm -hmm. floater, mm. or it can grow in one of those floating rings as well. And it'll push out quite nicely. Oh, sorry. Um, push out quite nicely. Uh, it's just a green foliage plant uh, doesn't really do much mm -hmm. uh, that other marsh flower does actually have a yellow flower that on was it. going to be my question yes yeah okay it does so flower. it has a little yellow, yellow mm -hmm. flower on it it's quite attractive the good thing is the way you package them up <coughs> excuse me is you've got the um, they're in the tub with um, the plant with it with the nice draining um, potting mix but you've also got a separate container which holds the water that's right so yeah. I'm just thinking now that you know I could actually if it gets too shady in, in this in the winter I could put, pop it back in the retainer pot yep. and put it into a sunnier position so it's not going to go as far back. So it doesn't actually have to be in a pond because you've got the, the container there and I can keep it going during the winter and then as the sun gets penetrates more the canopy in the summer, I can put it back in. Yep, that's perfect. Yeah, because, I mean, the way we design these pots is actually to fit. So this is basically a pot within a pot. So yeah. At the nursery, when you buy these plants, they, you don't have to pull them out of a pond. So they've mm. got, got a little water reservoir in the, in the bottom there. Mm. And so uh, they're either called pond plants or give a frog a home uh, mm. in your local garden centre. Yes. But the, the rings are super um, popular because uh, the roots actually get out into the water and so they can take nutrients uh, out of the water. Uh, so if you've got fish in your pond... Mm. Um, they are very efficient at uh, filtering the, the nutrients out of the pond. And 
once they cover up the, the ring, you can't even see the ring mm. too. So yeah, it's exactly. actually quite um, attractive. An attractive plant. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, <clears throat> the other thing is once they get the roots, uh, the fish will actually breed in the roots. And I've noticed that they, as soon as a cat appears near the pond, they the, hide. Fish, the, the fish hide straight underneath that. So I have got one um, of these that I think I bought off um, um, the big green department store, which yes. is one of you, in one of your pots. And it's uh, like a brushy, but it's a bluey gray um, and it's quite, um, it grows a bit like uh, lemongrass, but it's, uh, mm. yeah, but oh, okay. it, it suckers out. But that is doing okay in the low light. Uh, there's a there's a K-Rex, mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a blue K-Rex, which is a sedge plant. Yeah, it's a sedge, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah, very hardy plant actually. And it, it grows as a, a marginal plant, so it can be in water. And even this time of the year, as it goes a bit dormant, it can actually be, out of water, so mm-hmm. it doesn't need to be damp all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're quite versatile. A lot of the water plants um, naturally don't tend to, like in winter, because there's enough water around, uh, and they go dormant. They don't actually have to be in water because mm-hmm. you know it's enough to keep them just damp, you know, in a pot. Um, so there's actually quite a good selection to go through and uh, make choices like that. Excellent. So I also bought in a couple of. Um, Edible plants this time of the year. Mm-hmm. So, so this one, um, whereas a lot of water plants do go dormant during winter, this is the one that actually comes to life in winter. Uh, this is actually called English watercress, and uh, so we all know Liz Hurley. The yeah, actress. yes, yes. She Liz, lives on it, doesn't she? She apparently? lives on it. She's <laughs> famous for a, a English watercress soup, and uh, so she's actually. Uh, so if you want to look like this, Hurley. Oh yeah, just get this. Yeah. And, Here we go. Uh, bingo. <laughs> I think Ray already does. I, mean, I think she's actually into watercress. You, you know about it. I so. love the flavour of watercress. Yes, it's got quite mm. a bit of a peppery yeah. uh, taste to mm. it. Uh, very easy to grow and uh, very nutritious for you, and uh, just does really well during the cooler months. So. Well, it's nice to have some options of things that will actually uh, perform during winter. That's well, it. This yeah. is what we're looking for. Yes, yeah, so that's English watercress, and that's available in that um, you know the same water plant range. Give a frog a home, and then uh, Daryl, you've got this one. This is yes. uh, the the Lebanese cress, ah. and uh, so I bought in two cresses, and. Completely different looking plants, really. They are. The leaf shape. Yeah, mm. so the English cress has got a little rounded leaf yeah. um, and uh, quite dainty. Uh, Lead cress actually gets, during the warm months, actually grows very vigorously. Does it? And it's a, a, ter- it's a terrific uh, filtering plant. So again, as I was talking about filtering the, the nutrients out of the water. And lead cress uh, grows most of the year, actually. It does slow down a bit this time of the year. But the leaves actually get quite big on it. Looks like a bit of a fern. I was leaf. going to say it's fern-like, yeah. and does it taste similar to the? No, it doesn't. It no, doesn't. it's quite like a, more of a celery type. Uh huh. That's right. Yeah. So yeah. more of a celery taste to that one, and again, highly nutritious and easy to grow. So you just yeah. need a little bit of water. Um, you can grow it in a bucket if you want to. Huh. And yeah. but um, yeah, so they're just. Two great plants to look for. That's yeah. Lebanese, so, Chris. So the Lebanese one, uh, I'm sure the other one does the same, the English, but it suckers off and you get like plantlets coming off the side. So you yes. just 
Get more. Get so more. as the as the uh, the side branches come out, they will actually root. You'll see little white roots mm. come out, and uh, so very good at um, holding down the soil. You need to what, keep an eye on it though, because it can take over. So you, mm-hmm. if you keep harvesting it, um, and if you you've got too much, you just throw it in the compost, and it makes great compost too. Yeah, as yeah. well. And unfortunately, insects like that one. So the plastic caterpillar Okay. Uh, like so I'm going, what's happening to my Lebanese crest? It's Being getting a haircut. Alive. And then yeah. I, I looked down between the leaves and there was a big black caterpillar with gold dots on it. So Hanging out in there. They found it tasty. Yeah, so a lot of those uh, things that are tasty for us are also tasty for the bugs as yeah. well. So. All right. Well, whilst we've got a lull at the moment and I can see some space on the phone lines, I'm going to give away our $75 gift voucher from Kerry Spriggs at Bigger Trees. You must uh, be a Curtin FM member and not to have won a prize in the last 28 days. And, of course, Bigger Trees Nurseries is located in Pickering Brook. It's an immaculate nursery. And right now she's got a beautiful display of winter colour like for camellias. And she has a, She was telling me she's got over 50 different varieties in stock at the moment and also lots of deciduous bare-rooted stock ornamentals and fruit trees also now arriving in June. Fabulous place to go and have a, have a browse. So here is our question, and this is coming from John, our researcher that makes up all our questions for us. If you were to ask John Williamson, now he, he's the song singer in Australia, the place that he adores, what would you expect him to answer right away? So the song that John Williamson sings, if you were to ask the place that John Williamson adores, what would you expect him to answer right away? Okay, give Bev a call on 94841927 if you'd like to win a $75 gift voucher to Bigger Trees Nurseries. And we do have free lines right now. Hop hop to it. Okay. I know I've given you a bit of a list that I gave to Faye of a few things I'd like to talk about. We had a call last week about smaller trees to go into the front garden and even I was talking to a friend during the week and she needs a tree closer to her house and then a couple of plumbers rang in and said you know you got to be so careful with what you're doing and the problems that they do encounter mm-hmm. uh, with trees going into people's front gardens etc and what's underneath the ground and so you're looking for something I suppose that yeah is, is a medium-sized tree and, and not not aggressive with its root system that makes a great not Great. liquid amber then. <laughs> not no. liquid amber, no. yeah, not a plane tree or anything like that. Well, I'm yeah. surprised. I thought the uh, the plumbers would actually be promoting tree planting like that so they could just give them more give work. Give them more work, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, they both a couple rang in last week and said, you know, uh, what can go on underneath the ground is pretty horrific. Well, they wrap their roots around piping. So, and... yeah, plumbers with a conscience, that's the way to yeah. go. So yeah, that's right. We'll have to remember those guys. Uh, so I, I bought a little list of... Uh, well, my five top mm. uh, small trees, if you like. Thank you. And actually, most of, well, there's four natives and controversially one exotic. So uh, I'll go through this. Controversially? These. Well, I, I was kind of going through. I thought, well, I, I prefer the native plants. So I thought I'd better throw in an uh, exotic one. But, um, well, that's the thing with uh, pipes, though. Uh, a lot of the modern pipes are, are, are less prone to tree invasion uh but of course in older houses and things like that they leak a little bit there's yeah, moisture the clay pipes yeah, yeah the clay pipes and then they're just that's always an issue um 
So it, it kind of comes down to common sense too. Uh, most trees uh, will have their root system concentrated underneath the drip line. So however wide the tree is. So yeah, so the broader the canopy, yeah, the broader, broader the, canopy, the drip line. Yeah, so we've got um, uh, a tree up at the nursery which is called um, uh, a Queensland Davidson plum. Yes. And But it's a tall, well not tall, it's a slender tree and it doesn't have a very wide canopy, only the you know, canopy spreads about four metres or so. But it could get up to about six metres high. Mm-hmm. Here in WA, uh, over east, it probably gets to about 10. Mm-hmm. Um, but I actually recommend that tree for uh, small, narrow um, areas, like down the side of a house and things like that. Mm. Uh, so that's okay. a good fruiting tree. But that wasn't on my list, actually. But uh, uh, the first one on, the, on my list was um, if you want a nice, small uh, eucalypt, there's a eucalypt called Eucalyptus torquata. Uh, yes. Do you know that one, yeah, Darren? Yeah, I know that one from the gold fields. Yes. Um, it's actually uh, from down at Kulgadi Way, and it's called the coral gum. And it grows really, um, I guess what people's definition of small as well too. Mm. So my definition of a small tree is something kind of four to six metres. Yeah. Um, a lot. Funny enough, back in my retail days, uh, uh, somebody said I wanted a small tree mm. and I showed them a tree like this one growing four to six and they go, oh, that's far too big. And so really, really that what they wanted was a, a large shrub yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. pruned into a tree shape you know, <laughs> rather than a, a small tree. So mm. I said, well, we've got some big trees here. Uh, the big trees are like 20 to 30 metres, you know, yeah. that, that's a big tree to me. Uh, but a small tree, four to six metres, mm. and it's got a lovely coral flower, uh, very popular now as, street, as a street tree yeah, because see it them. doesn't yeah. take up much yeah. space. And uh, just... Flowers does its own thing. Once it's established, looks after itself. Doesn't need much care or attention. Mm. Um, root issues, like I said, you know, I don't really feel it's a, a problem like a ficus, for example, oh, you yeah, know, which yeah. are notorious or a, mm. a large liquid amber. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a good one. Um, the next one on my list is uh, uh, a tree. Well, it's again, it's a large shrub or a small tree, and it's called Hachiolarina. Mm-hmm. Uh, ah, yes. which is the pincushion hakea. Mm. And the reason I write this one down is because I've just come back from the uh, Fitzgerald uh, River National Park down there, and they're all flowering their heads off at the moment. They look fantastic just from you know, the side of the road. Yeah. You can spot them. Very specky. And again, um, I've got one at the side of the house, which is probably about four metres high, and I have trimmed it into a trunk with a bit of a... Um, mm. A canopy and flowering at the moment, lovely pincushion flowers. So they've got a dark center with a lighter um, exterior on the stamens, and the birds love them, you know, so it's such a magnet for uh, local birds. And I highly recommend that one. So, and it grows in most areas too, so you can grow it up in the hills or down near the coast. So the Hakea laurina. Hakea laurina, mm. uh, pincushion Hakea. Great option. Um, what else have I got? I've also got a another native. Uh, it's called Pittosporum angustifolium, which used to be called Pittosporum phylloroides. And the common name is uh, either weeping Pittosporum or Pitosporum, depending on what side yeah, of the fence you, yeah. you come from. And it's also called Gumby Gumby. So Gumby spelt G-U-M-B-I. 
And that's actually part of the Tuckerbush range that mm -hmm. I've got. And it's a really attractive weeping tree. So it's got very fine um, needle-like uh, foliage and it just tends to weep over and it's quite a, you know, a great specimen tree by itself. Mm. And again... Yeah, my, my antenna's gone up with that one, what you're, yeah, how you're describing it. Yeah, four to six metres. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, it's got a, another common name called native apricot. And that's a really unfortunate common name because it's, it tastes nothing like an apricot. apricot. Yeah. It has fruit that's small and orange. But that's where the, the similarity, you know, begin and end. Ends, yeah. <laughs> uh, the fruit is is actually quite bitter, oh. and it's used uh, mainly as a medicinal plant, a medicinal tree. So traditional people would use this. Uh, uh, they use the leaves and they'd smoke the leaves, and also you can make a tea out of it. Oh. And I won't go into it anymore, but. Uh, the fact that it's actually just a nice looking tree by yep. itself yeah. uh, is really attractive. I'm going to have a Google of that one when yeah. I get off air. So mm. it's called Gumby Gumby, Gumby and Gumby. it has been spelt with a Y, but uh, mm. we spelt with an I. G-U-M-B-I. two words, Gumby Gumby. So if you just type in Gumby Gumby, you'll be able to find it. Well, there's some really nice different options for people. Thank you. It is. It's, it's always, you know, there, there's the common ones like, uh, you know, the evergreen ash, you know, but I didn't put that on the list. Mm. Um but, uh, yeah, there's some a few things out there that what are really... What about the native frangipani? Native frangipani is a good small tree. Yeah. It's uh, beautiful for, when they flower too. Oh, fantastic. And the perfume's unreal. So, um, and it's evergreen as opposed to uh, exotic frangipanis down here, uh, which are deciduous, of course. So the native um, frangipani is uh, called Hymnosporum flavum. That's a botanical name. And they've got green glossy leaves. Mm. Uh, so even the leaves are quite attractive when it's not in flower. And of course, it comes out with uh, white and yellow flowers in, in summer and uh, just performs really well. I mean, uh, initially we were worried that because it's from Queensland, New South Wales area, we were concerned that it wouldn't do well in WA. Mm. Uh, this was going back mm -hmm. uh, 35 years when we, I was at Domus initially and we were growing it there. And uh, but it just performs really well in our climate here in WA. It's a, a lot smaller tree here in our climate than uh, in the temperate rainforest areas that it originates from. And uh, you don't need to do much to it. It's mm. um, it's a popular street tree, and uh, yeah, just the flowers that you get off it and the perfume. It's it's really worth growing. So, yeah. well, so okay. Um, being a scientist, I have lots of crazy friends. So one of my <laughs> crazy mates' his name's Peter, and I'll just leave it at that. And it's not Peter, my wife. It's Peter, a man. Yeah. And he has two liquid ambers in his front yard because yeah. he loves the foliage. And, yes, all his irrigation's gone and everything. Yeah. Uh, his, uh, copper pipes have been sort of mangled and everything. So he's had the plumbers in for the second time. And mm. I'm not sure if this works, but this is what he's trying at the moment. The plumber suggested along all these irrigation lines, dig them up and, and put a, 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 a coating of lime, so dusted oh. lime along. And, and the plumber reckoned or told him that the roots will not go through the lime to get to the pipes. Oh, okay. No, I didn't so know I don't that. know if that's true or anything. I've never heard of it before. I only heard Watch it just recently this week. So he's in a desperate effort to keep these liquid ambers. He's, I think his wife wants them gone. I was going to say, yeah. that that's material for divorce, isn't it? Yeah. yeah I can imagine. Yeah, well, it's, it's expensive. It's, yeah, very. Oh, very yeah. expensive. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so I don't know. I mean, maybe somebody 
has heard of that before, but that's a new one to me. So we're always learning. Right. But I don't know whether it works or not. So I'm no. Not, yeah, I'm just putting it out there. No. Uh. The other things I've heard of uh, uh, using like uh, copper, uh, copper oxychloride dusted through there, mm-hmm. um, even protecting them where uh, they've got, you know, they surround the pipes with uh, like blue metal because you get a little bit of uh, air pruning. You mm-hmm. know, so if they if they uh, put a um, what's the fabric over the top? It's like a geo fabric oh, yeah. over the top. To the weed mat type stuff. Yeah, mm. to stop soil getting uh, close to the pipes. And if you've got a, then a trench of blue metal and then you can dust it with um, copper oxychloride uh, because, you know, in um, it's also a poison. So uh, it can be used as a fungicide, but in concentrated amounts, you know, it's actually mm. a poison. And uh, that'll stop the roots a little bit as well. But... Uh, of course, you don't want to be poisoning the tree as well. No, that's right. Yeah. An- another another issue. Yeah. yeah. All right, we do have to go for a break. We have a winner for our little competition, Francis Gordon. Thank you for playing with us, and you will have a voucher in the mail this week. I'll give the answer to the uh, question that we asked. Tanya, I see your call waiting there. We will be back in just a moment. Curtain you are with Let's Talk Gardening. Special guests in the studio this morning, Mark Tuchek and Dr. Daryl Hardy. So thanking everyone for their company. Straight out to the lines. Tanya, thanks for waiting. Hello. Hi. Tanya, you're with, you're with Let's Talk Gardening. Good morning. How are you all? Great. Well. Great, thanks. That's good. I've been listening to your show and I've been thinking of establishing a water garden but I don't necessarily want to have fish with it. So how do I go about doing that? I actually only want to have things that I can eat in it. <laughs> so oh. Yes. Well, it's Is quite... There any... Go on. Yeah, it's quite easy to do and... Uh... Actually, water gardening is actually trending um, like with COVID and things like that because mm. having water in the garden is beneficial for yourself and also for the environment. And it's quite a relaxing thing having water. Um, but if you want to have an edible water garden, uh, you yeah. can have it in an area just as small as, you know, uh, you know, if you put your arms together in a circle, you can have a 40-centimetre a bowl and there's quite a few different edible plants uh, you can grow. Uh, water chestnuts is very mm-hmm. popular. Um, unfortunately, water chestnuts are dormant this time of the year. And uh, so you won't be finding those out in the nursery, but they grow actively during the warm months. And this is the time of the year that you actually harvest them. So water chestnuts are easy to grow. Uh, you don't need fish, but if you've got a balance of different types of plants uh, in the water, you can usually stop um, algal blooms. Uh, having said that, you know, depending on the, the weather and the conditions, sometimes you might get a, a bit of an algal bloom, and then you can use something like zeolite in the uh, around the edge of your pond mm. to uh, uh, what would say like a lot of the algae tends to congregate after you put zeolite in there, so it's easier to take out. Um, as far as edible plants, there are lots of mints that uh, actually like having wet feet. Uh, there's a water mint. Uh, we've got the two that we mentioned to, earlier the, today, which was the English watercress and the Lebanese cress. Uh, there's a Vietnamese mint, which is very mm-hmm. popular. Mm-hmm. It's also called uh, laxa, and that's 
part of the uh, the, the laxa flavour that you find a lot in Thai oh, dishes. Oh, I see. Love, like love laxa. Yeah. Mm. So that's also called Vietnamese mint. And uh, that's very easy to grow as well. And goes crazy in water. Goes mm. crazy. Uh, it mm. tends to slow down a bit this time of the year, but certainly during the warm months, you've got to make sure you pick it and harvest it to keep it under control. So there's actually a, a huge selection of edible water plants um, that you can find in your local garden centre. Yeah, okay. Now, just two questions. Is there anywhere I can find out how to construct this water, water garden? Okay. And also, to yeah. where can I get the plants from? And can I get them from no, local garden, like garden places, or? Yes, your local garden centre should have a selection there, yes. and they'll be able to advise you quite easily, and be able to set you up. You know, if you just want to start off with a a small bowl, um, most stores actually have uh, containers or bowls that don't have drainage holes in them, and uh, it's quite easy to do. You don't have to plant into the bowl; you can keep them in their own containers that they come in. And yeah. uh, the most important thing is to uh, have some kind of gravel or stones over the top of the potting mix of your plant to stop it polluting the water. Uh, okay. You'll find that when you sit them in the water, if they don't have the gravel on, the potting mix can come out and float out of the, uh, the pot. But uh, if you do that, um, you can very easily have a, a little water garden you know, in a sunny spot, it's probably preferential. Um, if it's too shady, it'll struggle a little bit. But uh, full sun is my recommendation. So, and what about fertilising plants? In, in yeah, uh, yeah. So if you, um, we just tend to use a slow release fertiliser, like a tablet. Yeah, tablet mm. or osmocote or something like that. And you just pop it into the. Yeah, just uh, we pop it underneath the potting mix. So, yeah. uh, we tend to poke a hole in the potting yeah. mix. Feed it in, and then just cover, cover it up. It over. And uh, if it's slow release, it won't uh, pollute the water. Mm. Uh, quick release fertilizers tend to make the water grow green, and they're not using all the uh, the nutrients up very easily. So just use a slow release fertilizer. Does that help, Tanya? Uh, yes, thank you. Do you have to check the pH of it at all? No, not really. Um, not really. No, the water pH uh, is just tends to be neutral. So. Uh, that's not such an issue with water gardening as, uh, you know, gardening in the in the soil by the coast or anything like that. Can you use um, ordinary tap water? Do you, or you have to take the because that's got the chlorine in it. No, no, you can use ordinary tap water. It's fine. Uh, awesome. Rainwater's it's more critical if you want to put fish in there, um, so you can get um, uh, water conditioning products from uh, pet stores and things mm. like that. But uh, ordinary tap water is just fine for the plants. Okay, thank you. And just another quick question. I um, want to know where we can get, I can get the native plants. I mean, like one of them, like there's Warrigal Greens and all that sort of stuff. Where can I buy them from? Yeah, Warrigal Greens is part of the, the Tuckerbush range and that's available now in your local garden centre. And if they haven't got it, they can order it in because it is available now. Okay, great. Thank you very much for your help. No worries. Okay, Good luck, Thank Tanya. You, Cheers. Thank you. Bye. And Margie of Gwalop phoned in earlier, and she actually had won a $75 voucher, two bigger trees, and with that she bought a Gumby Gumby tree as her prize. So wow, that was just a great coincidence, wasn't it? So it goes to show you $75 does get you a, a tree. Oh, mm. I'd love that prize. I reckon that's, <laughs> that's a great prize. Wouldn't we all? Yeah. And, of course, the question was, if you were to ask John Williamson the place that he adores, what would you expect him to answer right away? This is our... 
quiz question. And, of course, the answer is a home among the gum trees with lots of plum trees. A sheep or two and a kangaroo. (laughs) That's all I know. Very mixed. It was an old theme song from a show I used to watch. Exactly, exactly. Okay, about 94841927, back shortly. Five minutes to nine. We will have the news for you at nine o'clock. You are listening to Let's Talk Gardening. And we're just having a bit of a chat off air, boys, about uh, the problems with citrus gall wasp and how we prevent it. And you were saying, Daryl, it's actually arrived out in your yard. Yes, it has. My uh, goodness. I noticed that just two weekends ago I was out looking at my citrus. And, um, yep, so I've, I've started pruning it out. Um, and that's, well, no, no, don't worry about insecticides at the moment because they don't seem to work and there's been a lot of work by the local citrus industry they've been uh, doing some work with this kale and clays but that seems inconclusive as well as a and and that's all about timing mm. so at the moment yeah and I've had to sacrifice I'm, I've got a citrus gall wasp uh, uh, um, you yeah, know sort of swelling, swelling. here mm. and then I'm looking further down I've got four lemons uh, okay. that so, are about a third size and I've had to sacrifice them so I'm a, a little bit annoyed yeah. but you know if I get in early and keep it out then you know it won't sort of and it only goes on new growth so it's not so much of a problem for established trees it's more of a problem for people who are just um, putting in new um, um, smaller trees yeah. and some people have actually rung up saying they've got it from the nursery so oh, yeah so uh-huh. that's yeah so because the nursery won't know either because mm. unless, until you get the swellings you yeah. don't know the good news is is that the wasp is a very weak flyer so it probably only hops over from the neighbor's place um to your place and that's probably what's happened with me or yeah. across the street mm. um but you know it's been around for about 10 years now it was first we first found it in maylands we had a we thought we'd actually eradicated it um and then it popped up again. Um, and interesting enough, it's a native to that's the right. East Coast. Yeah. So and it co-evolved with um, your finger lime. Yeah, uh, that's what I heard. So really? the finger limes are very susceptible to it because yeah. uh, that's their favourite thing. So is it all citrus that will get it? Or? Well, it's interesting. I've got a, a, a mixture. Um, when you say all citrus, I mean, citrus is a very big family. So yeah. I've even got a curry leaf planted right next to a lime tree. And the lime tree's got now curry leaf. People don't probably realise that curry leaf is in the citrus family. No, I didn't know that. Wow, yeah. gosh. But that, at the moment, is not getting it. And I've also got the, um, what's the one you use, the, the, the lime, uh, Mark, what's it? Um, they used to call it kaffir lime, but we don't now. The one for cooking. Mm. Um, Do we not call it the kaffir? That's yeah, no, right, the it Mar- We've had that discussion before. It's yeah. called the Markut or something yeah. like that. They've changed the name. Oh, okay. The sensitivities. Um, oh. And that's oh. got the, uh, the, the double leaf. And yes, yeah, yeah. Thai cooking and things like that. Yeah. Well, that's I've got a pot of that right next door, and that doesn't have it on at the moment. But okay. I'm only at the early stages of just having it. So, yeah. So at the moment, you can prune um, <clears throat> and dispose of in your that um, way. Yeah, rubbish with, yeah. uh, collection, um, and it's going to be an issue because I like to fertilise my um, citrus monthly, okay. so I can get extra. Because I'm getting, um, they're, they're flat. They're actually putting up buds and, and shooting at the moment. Mm. So you can really citrus aren't necessarily dormant in our winter conditions here. No. no. So you can really push them. And um, now I've got to time it. So these galls, the wasp, the new wasp will emerge in spring, and they'll be then stinging the plant 
through that period after they emerge for a few weeks until they die. Right. So if I put new growth on coming into spring, it's going to be susceptible. Yes. So I've got okay. to time it. So it's after Christmas I get my uh, my new growth or in the dormant period now I can get the growth. Oh, okay. There we so go. That's good there's, um, the department, um, if you just go to Google, put in DPIRD, and put in citrus gall what, and there's actually a calendar of what to do. Oh, really? Okay. Perfect. Okay. And okay. prevention. Prevention, yeah, well, just check anything that you bring on your property. Um, but that's not necessarily going to save you because it'll hop over the fence, or if there's no galls, you won't know it's there. Yeah. So, and uh, someone has called in Mark of Dinella. Now, he says he has a 50-year-old lemon tree with gall wasp going rampant, even on established growth. Yeah, well, it's probably been there Dianella, for a while. He's right. got it. Yeah, and mm. the thing is, it's if you look at it in cross section, if you get one of those galls and cut it, you can see it's just full of holes. It looks like a strainer. You know, you, oh, really? And of course, yeah. There's that many holes there, and and the gall itself is a response of the tree because it's being attacked. Yeah. And um, now the problem is, is if I had left those three lemons and it was a Lisbon lemon, they get quite large. Mm. The stem would have snapped in strong winds mm. um, before the lemons got. Fully so. I'm wasting all that development, and then I'm losing the lemons before they're ripe. Right. So this is the great fear of industry that if it gets into uh, citrus producing areas, that's another cost. Yes. That yeah. they have to actually go and prune. Yeah. Um, or they have to really ramp up their spray program oh, and time it for. And so, you know, it's more costs uh, and more insecticides if yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's an absolute doozy. Yeah. Okay. Uh, time to go to the news. Nine four eight four one nine two seven. We'll be with you shortly. We're heading for a maximum today of twenty. There will be a shower or two. It is currently fourteen point two degrees. Overnight, you can expect a minimum of eight. There will be a shower or two tomorrow, with a maximum of nineteen. And for Monday, the minimum overnight will be eleven. Showers will be easing, and a maximum of eighteen. And we have twenty mils of rain uh, already for June, and the average is a hundred and twenty. So we've we've off to a good start. You boys been enjoying a little bit of rain this week. Well, last weekend it interfered with my gardening, but I, oh, I yes. persevered. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, the yeah. rain's good, but the wind takes to oh, oh, yeah. And yeah. the wind's been very cutting through, hasn't it? Cold this week. It's oh. really just cut through. Up yeah. at the nursery in the hills, oh. we're in a big yeah, corrugated shed. feel yeah. it. And uh, the poor staff up there, it's just Shivering. Yeah. yeah, I can imagine. Tuesday was cold cycling at 7 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Yeah, oh, it was well, very that's just brisk. For crazy people. So. <laughs> oh, I was going to work. Oh, they're out there. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, so I thought we might get through a few emails if we can, boys. Yeah. So, um, shall I go first? Yes, please. Thank okay. you. So this is from last week, and yeah. there's an apology because the phone number that the station has grabbed, it doesn't, it's not the right number for getting back to the person. Um, anyway, uh, Faye's actually printed out a response, and I agree with her response. It's, there's nothing uh, funny That's about good. that. That's <laughs> good. Yeah. So a lady wrote in about having this massive staghorn um, in this house that her daughter had bought, and um, it's coming off the board, and yeah. they want to know what they do about it. Well, the first thing is it's not a staghorn. It's an elk horn. It's elk horn. So, and, and it's got lots of pups that have um, mm. uh, on the same board. So if the lady's listening, yes, you can chop them up, and Faye recommends a... Um, 
uh, serrated kitchen knife, but you can use any sharp implement. You could even use a hacksaw or an angle grinder, whatever it takes your fancy. <laughs> yeah. And um, these things are pretty well indestructible. Um, and what, what I've done, I've just used tech screws sometimes and just screwed them onto new boards. Oh, tech screws. Uh, yeah, rather <laughs> wow. than trying to wire them on. Yeah, yeah, so you don't go through the green fleshy parts. You go through the older leaf yeah. bases. Okay. That, uh, yeah, and just, uh, yeah, I've just put them on with a big washer or something like that, just a couple of tech screws. And they, they go works. away. So you can be pretty tough with these. Now, staghorns are totally different. I have, I've got a couple of nice staghorns, but they are problematic. Yes. Yeah, elks are a lot easier. So if the lady's listening, um, yep, um, Faye's hoping that um, that helps. But um, yeah, and then there's a bit there. Sometimes we might place sphagnum moss in behind to help some moisture avoid banana skins because they can attract vermin. Yeah. yeah. So rats do like banana skins. So, yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, I just. Um, my big staghorn, not elkhorn, big staghorn, it's uh, on the um, parapet wall along the side of my house. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's on the neighbour's parapet wall. And when I'm up in the gutters cleaning out the, um, you'll notice that it gets uh, all the leaf material and it gets mm. a bit muddy up there. I just throw that into the top of the staghorn. And it would love it. And it <laughs> loves it. Yeah. Mm. And nobody sees it and it saves messing up the rest of the yard. Yeah. yeah. Good one. Perfect. There you go. Okay, thank you. And you've got a an email, Mark? I have. Uh, so this one's uh, about a midgen berry. So a midgen berry is uh, Alstromertus uh, dulcis, which is an Australian uh, native edible plant. It produces little white berries about the size of a blueberry, and they're white and you know, speckled purple. Uh, great plants, but um, this is from Nissa, and uh, she says, uh, my midgen berry plants have been wonderful, producing lots of fruit. However, they have much more prostrate habit than I expected and are spilling over a path. Uh, this makes them quite difficult to pick with all the bending. I'm experimenting with supports to bring them up. Any mm. other thoughts, please? And they do tend to do that when they're young. So they do uh, spread wider than higher. Um, so these look like just fairly young plants to me. Uh, I'm sure that with age, you can trim them up so they trim very easily actually so you can actually um, make an edible hedge which is obviously this is the intent here that this is doing um, but I just start trimming on the side and just helping the plant uh, promote new growth out the top uh, if she wants to get it higher you're always going to be bending over they don't get much bigger than really a metre high, but they do would get a, probably about a metre and a half wide. So mm. they do spread wider than mm. tall. Mm. That's just the nature sure. of the beast. But uh, it's a great plant and you're getting lots of fruit, so that's a bonus. So, um, yeah, keep... Uh, it, looks, it looks nice and healthy too, doesn't it? Very healthy. And they're really attractive too when you do prune them because they get the nice uh, bronzy burgundy new growth. Mm. And so they're quite a, a good feature plant. So that's midgenberry, and that's that's part of the uh, the Tuckerbush range. Very popular. One of the first plants I actually introduced to the range. Oh, I see. Um, when I started about five years ago, there was only six plants uh, that I introduced, and now there's nearly ninety of them mm. in the range. So uh, midgenberry, I highly recommend uh, for any bush food uh, starting out their journey, uh, bush food be for beginners. Uh, Midgenberry. Okay, thank you. All right. Well, we'll just go to the lines. We've got uh, Cynthia actually from Open Gardens uh, having a chat with us. Cynthia, hi. Hello. How are you going? Good. How are you? Yeah, pretty good. Um, they asked me to ring in about our um, events coming up. 
Okay. And I was out in Esperance last week, so reception wasn't too good down there. Mm. Um, but we've got Araluen on uh, this weekend with uh, John Colwell. Yes. Uh, so that's quite uh, a nice event. Um, so when's that? That's today and tomorrow or just one day? Just today, two to five. I think it's booked out now, but um, that was for this month. And next month, we've got Jim Fogarty hopefully coming over. He's an international garden designer, and he'll be talking about gardens of the world. So um, that should be an interesting one. But it all depends on COVID, uh, whether he can get over here and get home without having to quarantine. So where will he be doing his chat, Cynthia? Um, well, hopefully in Cottesloe, but um, it has to be confirmed yet. And, um, and so if it does go ahead, what would the dates be? Um, that's still not um, sure at this stage, um, Ray. Right, so okay. So is there a website have, you can get those yeah. information, Cynthia? Um, well, I have to, to have a look on the website, but it's not up there yet because we're still unsure whether he can um, come over because of this COVID outbreak. Okay, and what what else can we look forward to coming up? Um, we've got lots of gardens coming up for springtime. The Great. program's pretty much full, so um, yeah, it should be quite exciting. Um, looking forward to having some more garden visits. And so if people want to bring themselves up to date with gardens that will be open from spring onwards, what's your address? Where How can they find, how can they go and have a little bit of a look and see? Uh, Open Gardens West Coast, and if they look up uh, what's on or current season, okay. um, as as our program becomes um, available, it, it'll go up on the website. Okay. All right. So, well, keep us informed about whether Jim Fogarty does uh, come along. Uh, I think that would be an amazing chat to sit and listen in on. Absolutely. Uh, whether that yeah. comes to fruition and uh, we can then alert listeners if they'd like to attend. Yep. Okay. We'll do. All right. Well, thanks, Cynthia. Good luck. Are uh, you going up to Araluen yourself this afternoon? I am, yes. How beautiful. Be rather nice. Perfect um, day. John, John Cole was going to give quite a, a talk on um, yeah. Araluen and, um, you know, the, how it sort of developed. Yeah, yeah, be very special. He's very passionate about Araluen, isn't he? Yeah. He is. He's been involved with it for a long time, so um, looking forward to it. And it'll be a nice afternoon tea at the Healy Cafe as well. So good day for it. Sit by the fire. Absolutely. But you're saying it's all booked out, Cynthia? Yes, it is for the day. Okay. Yep. All right. Well, you, you enjoyed at least. Oh, well, thanks. All right. We'll chat to you soon. Thanks, Cynthia. Right. Bye-bye. Cheers for that. And we do have free lines, 94841927. And we were just working through with some emails still. And if I can sure. put you back to work, Mark. Yep. And uh, so just going back to Araluen, uh, they've just done a fantastic job there. So they're just continuing to build on it. And uh, it's amazing because I hadn't been for a couple of years mm. and how much more work they've mm. put into the place and it's brilliant. In fact, um, I actually donated quite a few plants when I was managing a garden centre called Colour Drop back okay. in the early 90s, which mm-hmm. was in Kelmscott. Right. And when they first started uh, to expand the garden and put a few things in, so we donated a lot of plants up there and they're still going well there today, a lot of the hellebores and mm-hmm. things like that. But... Uh, Aralowan's fantastic any time of the year. So yeah. just, and, of course, the tulips will be... Tulips would be uh, not far A few weeks off. away, yeah. That's yeah. right, yeah. yeah. So, okay, I've got another email here, and this is about a, uh, a bay leaf tree suckering. Mm. And uh, so this is from 
uh, Ron and Joy Morrison in Mount Pleasant, and they've got a a bay tree which is about probably about four to five meters high. And uh, the problem is that it's uh, suckering, and they've got a picture um, now as the plant gets older, and they've started dealing with it by pulling out each sucker by hand. We foolishly cut them off, hiding them under the mulch, uh, which encourages more suckers. And now they've got four square meters in a small garden bed, and they've got them popping up amongst other plants. She's got nasturtiums and things like that um, underneath. Which makes it hard. Yeah, uh, so bay trees do sucker. And um, so that's the nature of the beast. And uh, I think their extra pruning has kind of stimulated them more. So when you you don't, with suckers, it's always best to try and kind of rip them out rather than cut. cut. And uh, But they're going to be very difficult to even pull out because they'll be quite strong. Yeah. Um, so what does one do? That's a good question, mm. actually. Um, I've only the, ever had mine in pots. Yeah, that's, and that's a good way to stop suckers, putting yeah, them in pots. Yeah. yeah. And, and trees, I mean, those um, those Robinia mop tops. Oh, they're, they're they, treacherous. They, uh, look, and, and the person has actually removed them next door to me, and yeah. they're still getting the suckers oh, five yes. years later. Oh, yeah. Popping yeah. off my garden. So yeah. a lot a lot of time when things are stressed, they, they sucker. So I'm just wondering if it's... Yeah, the stress is causing extra suckering. You're, you're, you think? you're right. That's my, been my experience with uh, plants and suckering. If they're healthy, well maintained, not under any kind of stress, they don't then they don't sucker. To. So, uh, suckering can be induced by um, like cultural things too. So, like even digging around the plant, injuring the plant. Basically, what happens is the plant thinks it's under attack, yeah, it's and uh, as a result, it will send out suckers. Mm. Um, so I haven't got any solutions besides just keep pulling them out. Um, good day to get warm in the garden and just keep having a go ripping them out. Mm. Um, I don't feel spraying, no, especially no. with the other plants she's got in the garden here. Would be uh, beneficial because it's a big tree, isn't it? From the yeah, photo. so it's about four to five meters mm, tall, mm. and uh, you know it's a lovely looking plant. Mm. Uh, I don't know, maybe it is very close to a fence line, so maybe the stress started on the other side of the fence line because on this side of the fence line, it actually looks mm. like it's quite healthy. So I don't know. What do you think, Daryl? Yeah, um, yeah. Just keep the water up to it, the fertiliser up to it, and hope the suckers stop slow up. down. Yeah, but okay, I think that's all, it's just problematic with that that species. You're going to get suckers, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah, um, that's what it is. Yeah, and bay trees. A lot of people don't realise exactly how big they get. Yeah. Um, oh yes, and uh, just pop them in the garden, and and you know because you've had it in a pot or something, and yeah, they just mm. keep going. Yeah, mm. you just need to go to uh, our lawn to have a look at a bay tree that would be about twenty metres tall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's pretty old, and old and big. Yeah, yeah. so yeah, anyway, they yeah, they can try a few different things. All right, we're in Ferndale. Question for you, Daryl, Michael. Yeah. Good morning. Good morning. Morning. Hang on. Hang on. <laughs> Hang on. <laughs> we're here. We ain't going nowhere. Um, for for Doctor Daryl, I should have rung last time he was a guest. Well, you've been waiting a long time, then, haven't you? I haven't been here for three or four months. So yeah, you've done well to remember me. Yeah. When you were on before, the kids call them spitfires. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, here we go. Yeah. yeah. So so what are they? All right. I mean, uh, then they look like a caterpillar, but they're not. Mm. No. They're, they're the larvae of a primitive Australian wasp. Mm. 
Really? Yeah. Because like, I live in Ferndale by the river, and along the path there, you see like clumps of them. Yes, that's all, right. So they're all... they're scared, so they hang out together, and so their action of spitting is just chewed up gum leaves. They're they're trying to regurgitate at you to protect themselves. Yeah. Oh, is that what it is? And and they just fall on the ground, but nothing eats them. No. Well, yeah. Well, if you're full of eucalyptus. Um, Unless you're quite a bear, they're not that tasty. <laughs> so so um, a lot of insects eat things and extract uh, material from um, what they eat, and it protects them from predation. So right. there's the things like the uh, white cedar moth, they, the, um, the Cape lilac trees. Yes. I've seen magpies that are unaware of how yucky they taste, and they have a taste of them, nah, they're not going near them. And the same with the spitfires, yeah. So they get a protection by being in a group, yeah, and they're in clusters, aren't in clusters, they? and also, um, yeah, by their actions, they look they look like a multi-headed Medusa when you stir them up. Yeah, they do. And, oh, yeah, yeah, but they just turn into um, they they'll pupate, and a, a, a pretty little wasp will come out of each one. Oh right, thank you. That's easy. I thought that, you know the kids calling on Spitfires. I thought it was just a you know. A, well, the kids have been calling us Spitfire ever since I. You know, I think my father, I mean, he, if he's still around, he'd be 96. He used to call them Spitfires. I learnt from him, so it goes back to, um, yeah, there might even be an Aboriginal term no, for Spitfire. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. it goes back a long time. And one, one last point. Um, who leaves the droppings on my white sheet, the little orange droppings? Oh, that's bee vomit. <laughs> that's bee vomit. Is it? Yes. Yeah, so they're regurgitating as they're flying. Oh, I enjoy yeah. that, Michael. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I thought it would be droppings or fly droppings. Oh, yeah. okay. I just, I just wondered why nobody there ever asked. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, some people aren't as bold as you, maybe. Yeah, but you see that in your sheets. And if you've got a lot of bees moving around. Um, yeah, that's it. Yeah, there's always one in the crowd. Yeah, okay, so yeah. Okay, so that's that's two much. questions solved for you in one in one session. Well done. You have to wait another couple of months for me to come back for and go okay. and find some more questions for me. <laughs> okay, thank you very much. You're thank welcome, you. Michael. Bye bye. And Bye-bye. we do have to have a short break with the with this uh, the Spitfire that we're just talking about. You don't pick them up, obviously. Kids attempted to pick them up. Oh, look! You can look. I used to play them with a kid, but you get a, you know, a smelly sort of hand and that. And I suppose you know because it's um, you know it's regurgitation. Um, mm. I mean, he, Michael's really into vomit today. Wasn't Apparently, it? It was, he it was, is. It was yeah. Wasp vomit and bee yeah. vomit. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, there can be a bit sort of. It might actually have. Um, yeah. If you're sensitive, it might uh, the skin might be a bit of an issue, okay, so and you no certainly stinging. want to wipe your hands in mm. your eyes after. Mm. Um, but why after. do they go walk about? So yeah, so they they because they 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 will actually um, totally um, defoliate a, a plant. Okay, then move on to the next one. They move on to the next right. one. Yeah. Mm. So there's a whole pile of native. You'll see them bag moss, processionary caterpillars, and if you're ever on a bush track or an old um, track out, and, the, and and you'll see all the caterpillars coming across, you just mm. get a stick and get the first one, and just nudge him a little bit, and just keep nudging him until he actually goes around to the last one in the group in a circle, and they'll keep walking in a circle wow. for a couple of hours until they work out they've been had, and oh. then the one will take the lead and go off again. That's amazing. <laughs> things oh. that yeah yeah, that's it's a good thing to show kids. <laughs> All right, we do have to take a short break. Carol, uh, you'll be next. Curtain Radio. You're with Let's Talk Gardening and my special guests, Dr. Daryl Hardy and Mark Tuchek. Straight back out to the lines. We're in Kinross. Carol, thanks for waiting. Uh, Ray, uh, could I speak to Dr. Daryl, please? Yes, he's here. Yeah, hello, Carol. Gee, I'm popular today. <laughs> yes, you are. 
Um, this is horticulture related, but not sort of specifically garden. A week ago, my son flew in from Brisbane, and on the plane, he noticed there was a woman with a very large bunch of fresh flowers. Mm. Yes. And nobody queried it. Okay. He heard, he heard one of the hostesses uh, ask uh, one of the other, the male hostess, uh, whether the lady should have it, and he just ignored a question and walked away, and nothing was done about it. So she hopped off the scene and disappeared into Perth with her big bunch of flowers. Okay, well, so, I'm hoping that um, the acute quarantine Western Australia um, um, staff out there would have intercepted her because that is an issue. Um, uh, cut flowers are actually uh, a real big biosecurity risk, um, and certainly you can't bring them in internationally. And when we bring them in, you know, like um, uh, overseas, they're fumigated and all go through high plant health status. So that is a concern. And I'll bring up one um, area at the moment is that we've got this thing called serpentine leaf miner on the east coast now. Yeah. And when you're growing things like herbs and cabbages and that, you'll see these little leaf miners. That's actually an exotic too, mostly, that's come in. There are native Lyra which are these little um, flies. But this one on the East Coast um, is causing all sorts of havoc. It's come down probably from through New Guinea into um, tropical uh, northern Australia. And then it's got down as far as New South Wales. Um, and that's causing real issues. It's really hard to control. So, yeah, if there's a host material... Uh, and they're also aphids hitchhike on cut flowers as well. So yes, that's um, if that's got through um, the system, then that's a, a, a major biosecurity risk for the state. So yeah, well, I would I'd like to think that the lady got intercepted by the the quarantine inspectors with their dogs at the airport. So uh, I don't know if that's the case, but yeah, certainly uh, it is not legal to bring in cut flowers um, into Western Australia on air flights. Well, I thought I'd mention it so that you could uh, tell people perhaps why they shouldn't be doing it. Yes, and I think I've done that for you <laughs> sufficiently, <laughs> and I will um, make inquiries um, at the department on Monday to see. Um, I'm gather, look, somebody from the department will be listening to this, and they'll pick up on it. But, yeah, it's certainly yeah. a risk. Uh, uh, just the same as bringing fruit and vegetables in on air flights as well, or yeah. well, by the train or by travellers. I mean, that's why we have checkpoints. Um, mm. And we have uh, one at Eucla and one at uh, Konanara um, to stop all this stuff. And, and even things like honey coming to the state. Um, you can't bring honey in. Um, mm. you, honey, you can get honey from the East Coast, but it's all pasteurised because there are bee diseases that yeah. um, would actually complicate um, bee production here and add cost to bee production, uh, uh, pollen, um, um, honey production. So, yes, um, you live in one of the most biosecure places in the world. Mm. And we get the benefits of it, and we don't want, we want pests to getting that in way. that are going to destroy our native environment and our, our community gardens and everything else. Mm. Okay. Well, okay. Thank so thanks much. for being a, a, a great um, citizen. Citizen, yes, and reporting that. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Thanks. Bye. Thanks, Carol. Bye, Carol. Cheers for that. And Brad of Mandra phoned in, and he wants to know about the caterpillars that go in a straight line, what they actually morph into. Right. Um, a lot of them just into. Um, just because you're a naked little caterpillar doesn't mean you're going to be a beautiful moth, but some of them are, some of them are, they just, those caterpillars just turn into mostly moths. And there's lots of different species. If you look up processionary caterpillars, just Google it, or bag moth caterpillars, 
Or and as John pointed out, you didn't mention that those Spitfires are actually sawflies. So, and he says they're very pretty little uh, fellows. So yeah, just Google them and see some of the pictures. So a lot, what a lot of people don't realise if when you Google something like sawfly or processionary caterpillar at the top of Google, you can have all shopping videos and uh, images. Click on images and then you just get a, yes. a sea of images. Yeah. And we were just discussing during the break um, the uh, grapevine hawk moth. Um, and, and that we're getting a lot of reports of those through the Pest and Disease Information Service and through the My Pest Guide app at the moment. Um, and people are seeing, because a lot of things are losing their leaves and these things, we eat lots of things. Oh, my, my child picked one of these caterpillars up. It's got this big spine on its bottom and it's got these big eyes. Well, <gasps> the spine is just uh, a bluff and the eyes are bluff too. So yeah. the eyes actually aren't their eyes. They're no. just um, to give the appearance that I've got big eyes, I'm, I'm fearsome yeah. and I've got a big spike, so stay away from me, don't eat me. Mm. So, um, yeah. And they put them at both ends, so if they get bitten, I suppose if that's they right. get bitten. Well, that's right. Yeah, you want your, yeah, you don't want your head bitten off. You, want, you don't mind your bum being bitten <laughs> off. So, yeah, so, so that, yeah. a lot of the eye spots are down Speaking near yourself. the rear end and, and the spikes too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. And uh, also tomorrow there is a community garden in Girraween, uh between 2 and 4. If you'd like to attend, it's in Patrick Court in Girraween. So that's a community garden that will be open tomorrow. All right. Now there's three lines, 94841. 9927. Radio Th- On starts at the radio station from Monday, so happening very soon. And I know that there's going to be a few prizes for our listeners if they want to donate next Saturday. Hold on to your dollars if you want to donate through the gardening show. Um, you have the opportunity to join Faye and I for lunch. Uh, amongst uh, other presenters as well. So, yeah, that will be happening next Saturday, but it does kick off on Monday, Radiothon, and if you would like to donate to the radio station, uh, hold on to your dollars unless you'd like to donate several times, of course, and uh, donate next Saturday between 8 and 10, and uh, you'll go into the draw to join us for lunch, which will be a really, really nice thing to do. Okay, and Rita's just called in and she's saying, she's from Maidavale, thank you for such an informative show with your expert and knowledgeable guests. Yes, indeed. Getting lots of good compliments. Yes, go ahead. So um, I'll deluge with what's trending. How's yes, that? please. Okay. So yeah. first off, I'd like to say a big hi to all the uh, wonderful people at the Rolling Stone Organic uh, Growers Association. I gave a talk up there on Wednesday night. And they apologised because it was a terrible night to drive and mm. that the rugby was on. So they didn't oh, get yes. as many people mm. as they expected. But um, look, the crowd that was there was fantastic. And um, I spoke far too long, but they kept on asking questions. So what else could I do? So, um, yeah, a lovely group up there. So if you're into organic growing and you live in the hills, the Rolling Stone Organic Growers Group, a very very good group to be but involved with yeah mm. for sure and i've actually talked to the north beach one and there's one yeah so there's a few organic grower groups around and yeah, yeah they're, they're just siphons for what well, they're sponges for information they're they are. sucking yeah, it up i've spoken to them too and they're a very proactive group yeah they're fantastic so um what's trending so i've mentioned the hawk moth uh hawk vine moth caterpillars um a lot of people have been ringing that bees are dying. So, yeah, there's the cold weather, and plus the, there's not a lot of flowering plants around from at the moment, so they're really getting stressed in that. And beekeepers will actually feed, supplement their feeding um, this time of year sometimes oh, wow. to okay. actually yeah, what, get them What would they feed them? Yeah, they feed them, yeah. But with what? Oh, that sh- sugar. Okay. Yeah, sugar solution and that, yeah. Oh. So um, up in the north, there's periods uh, where they... 
there's no flowering plants, so they'll actually yeah supplement their feeding. So it adds another cost to them as well. So there's that, and also um, the rain's knocking them down. They're, yes. they're, they're stressed, the cold. So yeah, there is a yeah. lot of bee deaths, and you, sometimes you get bee deaths after thunderstorms and in summer periods too, because they're actually getting drunk on the nectar because it's fermenting. Oh, the, the yeah. heat. So there are different periods of the year where you get a lot of bee deaths. Um, now there's carpet beetles and a lot of people are reporting these at the moment and yes they'll chew up any um, organic material in your house so they can chew carpets obviously what does he look like? he's just a small brown beetle Some of them, there's several different species there's a variegated one which has got a motley pattern they're only about 3 to 4 millimetres long mm. little beetle and most people don't see them except when they stumble into your tiled areas of your house along the skirting boards okay. and they're going what are these things and of course uh, uh, you know, if you've got dog fur and bits of fluff and things off the carpet it accumulates on the skirting board so they're, they're, they're just having a bit of a munch along there but they do they can get into uh, pantries and they can get into cotton goods as well in, in wardrobes and things like that so okay. yeah so keep an eye out for them um, mm. but you know if you've got them don't be alarmed you're not the only person who's got them. everybody's got them right okay um, now, uh, the locusts, so there's a bit of a, a worry that this year we could have another locust plague. And I don't know if people remember back, to, I think it was 1991, the locust plague actually got to Perth mm. and it was chewing people's life. I think the, um, what was it, the Bindoon Bowls Club had all the, all the bold greens chewed up. And oh, those people, right, yeah. yeah. And they got in the Swan Valley and that, so yes. of course they're damaged. But I'm not sure if that's going to be the case this year, but we could have locusts, so... If you're in spring and summer period and they're around and you're traveling into the bush, you, you know, you might want to actually put some fly wire in front of your radiator so you don't get your radiator clogged up. So, yeah, just keep an eye on that. Mm. Um, dying bees I've talked about. Um, and I've talked about citrus gall wasp, yeah. uh, fruit flies. So we've finished the eradication of um, Q fly um, from Del Keith and mm. Kubelup. Mm. Um, so that's good. We've got area freedom back for QFly. The government, we had over 250 people working on those programs. So yeah. it was good that it came during COVID because we had a lot of Qantas, a lot of Virgin and a lot of um, casino staff um, that were laid down. They were actually, we were able to supplement their, their income oh, by their working and a lot of them enjoyed walking around and yeah. picking up fruit and that. So that was mm. good. So yeah, we're free of QFly again. So um, <clears throat> there's plenty of information on our website if you want to know what QFly looks like and report it. Um, and the other thing that's just happened is that um, until recently, it's been illegal to have prickly pears in Perth in the Southwest Land yeah. Division. And now, I mean, that was a bit of an oversight because they're everywhere. They're not so much of a, a, a weedy pest in this area, but um, you're allowed to actually have them now. Um, it's not illegal. Hmm. Um, yeah. But please do not take cuttings and take them to the... Uh, the north of the state, the gold fields, because that's where there will actually be a weedy pest. Now, there's lots of prickly pear-like um, plants, and um, the department's spending a lot of time and effort battling these. And there's one called bunny ears that people like to collect, but they're very nasty and um, are very much a pastoral and agricultural weed. So mm. right. uh, I know in the gold fields there's large areas of these um, Yes. Um, prickly pear-like um, relatives up there. Yeah, they were... I mean, they used to use them as fences, didn't they? Yeah, too? yeah. And, uh, oh, effectively. But, mm. but people used to, um, of course, use them for food. Yes. So well, the well uh, prickly pears, if, you've, if you haven't 
peeled a prickly pear, you haven't lived. Put it on your bucket list. <laughs> well, I haven't done it. So. Yeah, because they're full of spines. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, so it's a bit of a technique to actually, yeah. So I grew up um, just uh, a lot of people went to school, lived in Austin Park, and there was a lot of Italian immigrants, and they all had their prickly pears, and, and they never had lawn in the backyard. They had all vegetable gardens. So, yeah, yeah. You know, I got introduced to a lot of pl- uh, uh, things like capsicum and things like that at a very young age when they weren't sort of mainstream sort of um, food for yeah, most sources. Australians. What does prickly pear taste like? It tastes a bit. Um, it's 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 a mixture of flavours. Um, so it's uh, if you got to get them when they're quite ripe. Um, they're sweet. They've got like a bit of a, maybe a bit of a citrus, maybe a bit of a watermelon. So it's a real Gosh. mixture of. Okay. Flavours and even a bit of pawpaw in there. It just depends oh, on how right. ripe they are. Yeah. But they've got pips in there too, so you oh, just swallow okay. them. They're just small black pips, yeah. Right, okay. Yeah. So they'd be uh, just quite juicy, I can imagine. Yeah, they, they so. can be, but they've actually also got a bit of a funny texture if you get them at the wrong ripeness on your tongue. It's good, sort of... Um, it's a funny sort of like it's a bit of a lumpy texture, but yeah, they're quite taste. But um, okay. uh, yeah, they're good fun peeling um, oh. without getting prickled. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. We're in Falcon. Good morning, Helen. Thanks for waiting. Oh, good morning. Uh, I, I have uh, four grevilleas and um, Robin Gordon's growing in pots. Now I planted them in into um, uh, native potting mix, and also I give them native slow release. They look healthy, but they're going yellow and they rarely flower. Is there any suggestions, please? Uh, do you have them in full sun, Helen? Do they get uh, full sun all day? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, uh, going yellow, um, and how long have they been in the pots? Uh, oh, I'd say only about, um, oh, about eight months or so. Okay. I tried to grow them in the ground, but I'm one back from the beach. Yeah, I was just about to I say. had no success. Mm. Yeah, well, they do suffer in very alkaline mm. conditions and uh, they get iron deficiency. Mm. But in a pot, um, going yellow, uh, I either they, <laughs> if they get too much water this time of the year, they could probably affect them a little bit. Um, and how big are the pots that you've got them growing in? Uh, oh, about 30 centimetres across. Okay. About 30 centimetres. They're quite a big pot. Yeah. It could be latent from being in the ground. Yeah. The, the actual mm. um, alkaline issue and also transplant shock too. So, so you could have uh, a combination no, no, of issues there. No, they because the ones in the ground died. Oh, I see. So I've tried again and I'm having, they, they look great, but as I say, they're going yellow and I just thought, what well, I could give them. It would worm juice be okay to give them? I think worm juice would be okay. Uh, it's really the thing that you got to be careful of is the, the phosphorus in the fertilizer. So yeah. uh, usually a native fertilizer will have a low phosphorus uh, percentage. Worm mm-hmm. juice, I don't believe, has a lot of nutrients yeah. in it. So uh, worm juice would probably be fine to use. Um, mm. Going yellow, I mean, they could, it could be. A bit of cold. If they're cold and wet, that could be causing mm. them to go a bit yellow. I probably wouldn't be overly concerned. And I think no. um, if they don't spring back when it warms up a little bit, then maybe you can look at uh, revisit the problem. But I don't think it's anything too dramatic to be concerned about. All right. So that chelated iron that you can spray on, that wouldn't be any good at all? No, you've got to be careful using that um, yeah. because you can overdo it. Um, mm-hmm. 
And we used to use it in the nursery, uh, but because we're doing it commercially, uh, it was mm-hmm. quite important to make sure. Uh, this time of the year, when plants are cold and wet, they don't mm-hmm. um, take up nutrients that effectively. So using mm-hmm. chelate through the foliage can be beneficial, but I probably wouldn't go to that problem unless they were really bright yellow. Uh, if they're just a little bit on the yellow side, I wouldn't worry about it too much. Okay. Okay. Full sun still? Yes, yes. Okay, well, they should yeah. should like it then. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's right because they, I love them. I've got them for the birds. <laughs> I know, yeah. they're great, great bird-attracting plants. I have these little honey eaters here and I'm trying to get them as much as I can. Mm. Yeah. Okay, well, look, thanks for your advice. No worries. Take care, okay, Helen. Cheers right. for them. Goodbye. Thank you. Thank All right, you, we do need to have a short break and then we'll be chatting with Geraldine. Uh, Danny of Subi called in and he said he had carpet beetles and didn't realise that they, until they actually turned into moths. Right. Happy days. And he eradicated them with surface spray. So he had carpet beetles, <laughs> moths are different. So he had, he had the storage moth as well. Sounds like he had uh, a double whammy. Okay. So there are moths that will do the same thing as the carpet beetle. Okay. Okay. But it's in, the, in the moths, it's the caterpillar stage that causes the damage. Yeah. The moths are just letting you know that they're there. Yeah. there. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. All right. We'll be chatting with Geraldine in a moment. Curtain Radio. Appreciate your company this morning. Straight out to the lines. We're in Canning Vale saying hello to Geraldine. Good morning. Good morning. Now, you've got a pomegranate tree, Geraldine. Yes, I do. Um, we we had this pomegranate tree for the past five years, and uh, on I think after about one and a half year it gave fruits. But after that, um, during the summertime, uh, when it was fruiting season, um, the flowers used to just fall off, and that's it. There, there are no more fruits coming from that tree. Uh, just wondering why is it? Oh, I'd suggest well. The fact that it's actually flowered and fruited means um, yeah. it's it was okay, but um, pomegranates um, to produce flowers and fruit, it's actually quite stressful on the plant. And so, if the plant becomes stressed at any point of you know um, development, uh, then they'll naturally drop off the, the fruit in order to put back more resources into surviving. So. Um, the flowers obviously need to be pollinated by bees, um, but if they're dropping off, it suggests it's it's stressed at all. Is it a pomegranate in, in the ground or in a, in a pot? In the ground. In the ground. Does uh, the lady fertilise it? Uh, some uh, kind of like cow manure and and uh, uh, what's it? Dynamite lifter. Oh, yeah. uh, Dynamic lifter, yeah. I know with my citrus that if I fertilise them at flowering, they'll abort their flowers. So mm. um, you need to let the fruit set and get to some size or f- or, or fertilise prior to flowering. Okay. Uh, that ma- that's just one suggestion. What yeah. do you think, Mark? I also, yeah, that's a, a great suggestion. Also, you know, if you can prevent stress, so um, stress can be in the form of... Uh, like a hot windy day or the soil drying out um so a wetting agent's very beneficial as well um you know having a mulch around on the surface underneath the drip line is also beneficial um so 
Yeah, I'd certainly look at things like that too, like a mulch and a wetting agent mm-hmm. during the, the hot, warm months when they are flowering. A- apart from losing its flower and fruit, does the does plant look healthy enough? Yes, it is. Um, basically, uh, what happens is we prune it also uh, at the time. So after pruning, there's a lot of leaves coming up, but when it and then you, we could see we can see some flowers coming up. Uh, you know, last this year we had about nearly 20 flowers, and not one fruit. It all fell off. Yeah. I, don't know I think it needs a bit of tough love. You just ignore it for a while. Yeah, exactly. Uh, don't prune it at all because obviously it's putting all its resources into the new growth. So don't prune it. Don't do anything to it. And pomegranates are very hardy plants and tend to look after themselves. So uh, don't be a helicopter parent. Yes. And uh, yeah, just leave it alone. Yeah. Or yeah, a drone right. gardener. How's a drone that? gardener. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks, Geraldine. And we're in Ascot talking about transplanting camellias. Olga, hi. Hi, how are you? Good. How's it all going? I'm in the middle of my walk. (laughs) Um, I have some camellias that have been in fairly small pots and they're not doing very well. I've got some very, very large pots. I'm wondering when would be the best time to transplant well, you can do that now. I mean, traditionally, this time of the year, depending if it's a Sasanqua or a Japonica, Sasanqua's um, flower a bit earlier, Japonica's flowering now. Um, you can do that now. You can get specific commuter azalea potting mixes, but mm-hmm. I find just a, a general premium potting mix would be sufficient for them. Um, I so, thought that azalea, the uh, one, the specific one for them, so... Yeah. <laughs> massive big bags to fill the pot so that's not the issue it's just is the time okay now yes you can do it now yep <laughs> okay thank you very much no good on you enjoy Olga it. enjoy your walk oh yeah <laughs> 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 <Really home. laughs> take care cheers for that a fit gardener that's good yeah good yeah on. we like we like to see that and uh, Juna Buragoon phoned in she wants to know how do you actually eradicate the carpet beetle okay eradicate is a a strong word. A strong word. Yeah. <laughs> um, let, let's go with control. Um, now, these things, they can be up in the roof space and all sorts of things. So I'm not suggesting people get up there and deluge the place with chemical and that. But, um, yeah, my, yeah, a lot of people use bay leaves. We are talking about bay trees before. And they put in little sachets and they put that in with their clothing to deter any of the storage pests like carpet beetles or storage moths and things like that. Mm. And that's if you don't want to use chemicals. Um, well, Ron and Joy have got some suckers they want to get rid of, so they can. Uh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> they they, they started business. Yeah. yeah. So, um, the the other thing is, I mean, a lot of people use flea bombs. I'm not a big fan of flea bombs because they, they they're good for surfaces, but anything like if you're going to do um, chested drawers or anything, you've actually got to pull the drawers open so that the, mm. the, the bomb can get there. I prefer just targeted approach: surface spray along the skirting boards, um, and then lock the room up and don't go in there for 12 hours or so, and then yeah. then open it up and open the window and let some fresh air in. Right. Um, um, if you're using chemicals, but that's where they accumulate along there, so that would control them. And also, um, the other thing is, if there is a food source somewhere in the house, find it. If you're mm. getting lots and lots, um, yeah. So they can be anything from dog food, uh, any clothing in your pantry, anywhere where you got foodstuffs. 
um, mm. they'll breed up anywhere you got any organic material. So mm. woolen products, um, and that, yeah, you know, and you get lots of, um, you know, they'll, they'll, I mean, they'll, they'll get in places you won't even think. I mean, usually people see them in things like rice and wheat germ and things like that, but they'll be, you can get beetles and moths in things like cayenne pepper, chili flakes. Right. So don't put your human lens on these insects because they don't feel, what they don't do. get, uh, the heat in things doesn't worry them. So a yeah. spring clean in winter is a good idea too. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, when it's raining one day, just have a look in your pantry. But you, you should be able to work out roughly where the source is because they'll be in certain rooms and other uh, more often than other rooms. So, But like I said, most people notice them in the bathroom. Right. Like so they're drawing after having a shower. They look down, they see this little thing crawling along uh, oh, on the edge because that's where they see it. I mean, white tiles or the grey tiles, they see this little insect crawling uh. along. So it's a good excuse to get out of a, a family do. You can say, well, I have to clean out my pantry. <laughs> that's you know? right, yeah. I've got carpet beetle infestation. Quite right, that's right. So yes. quite right. Perfect, love it. All right, we do have to have a short break. When we return, we're chatting with Cheryl about her orchid. Curtain Radio. And there's about seven minutes left of Let's Talk Gardening and George Minoldi will be at the wheel uh, taking you through the classic 60s till 12 noon. Let's head to Oakford. Cheryl, how's it going? Yes, very well, thank you. Good morning to all. Morning. Um, I have some very small dendrobian um, orchids, which I, I think they're Sydney rock orchids, so I've... Yep. A native orchid, yeah. What my question was: Is it possible to mount them onto a board? Oh, they're really, uh, even though they're epiphytic, mm. they kind of. Um, um, I don't know whether you'd actually put them on a board. They they tend to be, in, uh, as as mentioned before, they actually call a rock orchid because they grow in crevices in rocks and things like that. Um, I don't know how you would do that on a board. Uh, I thought I thought it may be like a, like the old horns um, that you could pop onto a board, but maybe oh, okay. not. Okay, no. Generally, what they do with those is they have them in a, like a hanging basket. Um, so they're up in a hanging basket with a bit of sphagnum moss in and things like that. I've seen some fantastic specimens uh, just hanging around, if you like. Mm. Um, but yeah, I don't know how you would do it on a board. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. They have to be quite porous, so they because they. They're not strong. They like getting into crevices and that. So if you could, like, if if the board was something like a, the stem of a, a dead tree fern or something like that, where it's got sort of like yes. porous, yeah. then they can get into it. Where if it's yeah. just a flat um, board, it's okay. going to be hard for them. Yeah. Oh right. Yeah. Well, you can get those stands, can't you? That are filled with a crocus type of. Yeah, the cocoa peat, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, wonderful. We'll forget about the board and head that way instead. Yeah. Okay, wonderful. Thank you very much. Thank you for the show. Thanks, Cheryl. And Thanks. let's head to Quinn's Rock. We're talking about Bougainvillea. Marley, good morning. Oh, good morning um, to everyone. Uh, just a very quick question. My Bougainvillea, which I've had in the ground for probably near enough to two years, Noticed it's, it's it's just not flourishing. I look around me and all the bougainvilleas I see are, are just rampant with growth and flowers and whatnot. Mm. Mine look very sad. I've noticed some of the leaves curl over and have sort of got a white spot. I sprayed it with um, Osmocote fungal spray and also white oil. But it, uh, it's, I don't know, it hasn't done anything. Uh, that's quite unusual for a bougainvillea. Yeah. Um, mm. It may have actually be something below the ground. You might have, uh, might actually uh. have a rot. It mightn't be 
Uh, if, it, if, it, uh, if it continues not to do very well, um, yeah, they grow from cuttings. They grow from anything. They're just yeah, they're they're fantastic. When if you know, and they like they like abuse. So if it's not thriving, I think it goes to the uh, plant heaven, and you try again. <laughs> would it would it survive if I dug it up and put it in another spot? Yeah, try that. Yeah, but it can't hurt, can it? It's not doing well there, well, so it's, give, give well, exactly. it a, and it's not going to walk right. anywhere. So you got to help it. <laughs> okay. All right, thank you very much. Give You're it welcome. a whirl, Marley. Thank Bye. you. Thank Cheers. Bye. And Margaret phoned in from Mundaring. How effective is camphor in wardrobes to stop carpet beetles? Yeah, look, that's been around forever. Yeah. I've never actually trialled it. A lot of people swear by it. Yep, that's yeah, yeah. It's an option. G- give it a, yeah, there's lots of people try different things. Give it a lot. Yeah, ha- have a go. But that, you know, you can't put that everywhere around your house. So, mm. But, you know, if you don't want to use the surface spray, um, yeah, then that's uh, and I don't want people going there. Aerosol sprays or all surface sprays, definitely not surface sprays in their wardrobe and things like that. Mm. You used to be able to get um, those flea collar type things, shell top pest strips, and they were quite effective, but I don't think they're available anymore. Mm. They're sort of like um, on the chemical hit list. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm. Okay, and what did we need to do to wrap up, Mark? Two check. All right, so I've got another. Um uh, email here, um, also from Nissa, and this was about her finger lime. She sent a picture through. My finger lime is not very happy. It's fed, watered, and cared for. However, the leaves are very yellow at the tips, and there are some bare stems. Um, so, for a start, they do tend to um, go a little bit daggy this time of the year with a cold, and citrus aren't very effective during the cooler months when when they've got cold, wet feet in taking fertiliser up. And so a lot of people do uh, tend to do a liquid uh, foliar spray over Mm. uh, the leaves. A bit harder with finger limes because the leaves are so small on them, you know, they tend to, a lot of the um, foliar sprays actually run off. Mm. But really it's just because it's it's cold and wet um, this time of the year. If it would persist in the warmer months, uh, then you have to look at the, the nutritional problem. And you can actually use citrus fertiliser on finger limes too. You've got to be careful about overdoing it because citrus fertiliser is quite soluble as a granular fertiliser, so you can burn um, your plants with it. So a plant this size, which is only about um, less than a metre high, about mm. 70 centimetres, I would probably just use tablespoonful sprinkle around in spring when it starts to warm up and water it in in the meantime you can use a a, a foliar liquid uh, spray over the foliage but it's really not going to do anything until it warms up okay thank mm. you all right our work is done okay one more well so we've had somebody um worried that they were just interested that um What's their name? Fred. Yeah, interested that they took a picture in a park, uh, the local park, and they were just wondering if it's a bee comb, um, honeycomb they can find hanging out of this tree. It's a bit hard to tell from your picture, Fred, but I might actually get one of the bee people from work to give you a ring and find out where it is, and they might just have a, a, a quick look at it because, you know, make sure it's not an exotic uh, bee species that snuck in. So, yeah, we'll, uh, they'll do a drive-by when we find out where it is and have a look in your local park for you.
Thank you very much. Thank you very much, both of you, for coming in this morning and sharing your knowledge with everybody. Mark Tuchek from Hortvids, Tuckerbush, Domus and Water Plants. Oh, I'm actually not from Domus anymore. Oh, oh, can I write? I'm going to scribble that off. I don't mind plugging Domus still. Domus is still great. Uh, I still do a lot. Wholesale nursery, yeah. Yeah, So I've left them to concentrate on my own little nursery now. Good on you. And I thought I'd... uh, try and uh, walk on my own two feet but uh, <laughs> I, I was at Domus uh, this week so I'm always there yeah okay <laughs> all right and obviously you're always at work with DPIRD yeah the department of PIRD yeah as I got told the other day um yeah still there um at least for another year probably okay yeah all right and today's program was sponsored by Safety Bay Settlement Settling and Transferring properties across WA since 1977. Look, thank you both very, very much. Appreciate everything. Till next week, everyone take care and happy gardening. We hope you've enjoyed listening to another edition of Let's Talk Gardening on Curtain Radio. Happy gardening.